So we're getting towards the end of the Semach Tzedek. So it was 1854, 11 years after the conference of 1843. And the approval of a few of the government's guidelines, which they hoped would also bring uh, an assimilation to the Jewish people. Now, by, by now, the government had become extremely irritated by the Tzemach Tzedek's uh, tactics to delay all these things. And they, were really, they realized that nothing's really getting passed. And they demanded that he immediately sign a public proclamation authorizing the use of the Maskilim's books in their schools and to notify the public of the opening of new schools. And his signature on this proclamation would also like make these schools, uh, they could show it to people and say, hey, see, even the Tzadik Lubavitch agrees with this school and with the books. And having no choice in the matter, they, they basically forced the Tzadik to sign. Now, by that time, at, at the same time he signed, he secretly sent messengers to basically every single Jewish community in Russia to let them know <laughs> that the signature means nothing and he was forced to do it and not to listen to a word, any paper that's shown to you, you know, don't believe anything. Um, so the Rebbe couldn't come out and say that. That would get him in a lot of trouble, right? So instead, he had people go around saying, we have strong reason to believe that the Rebbe, it, that it's not his signature, something like that. I mean, you can't come out and say, the Rebbe told us to say it's not his signature. And as proof, they, they would use the fact that, was he on the side of the Maskilim in all the conferences? No. no. So why, would, why all of a sudden would he sign his signature? So we believe that it's a fake signature or that he was forced or something like that. Um, and the messengers, they gave it out, they gave this information out very well, very persuasive. And they basically convinced everyone the truth that this is all a joke. And they refused to enroll their children into these new schools. Now when the Maskilim heard about these spokesmen um, who, was, uh, who were going around, they made an official complaint. And they said, obviously, the Rebbe told them to do this. So the government investigated, but obviously, as with all the things that Semach Sadek did, you couldn't, you couldn't, they couldn't find anything because the, the Vada of five people, right? The Vada of five Rabbanim. On the other hand, it didn't, it didn't make them think, oh, he's innocent. Nobody thought he was innocent. The problem is you can't prove that he's guilty. How is it possible that so many different people at the same time are traveling around saying these things without the Tzemach Tzedek being involved? So convinced that the Rebbe was involved, they concluded that if he's coordinating this whole thing, it's probably happening, it's probably being sent through anonymous people, people that no one knows who they are and things like that. So to put an end to this, they decided that for one month, he will be put under house arrest. No one's allowed in or out of his house, including his own married children. And for the time of this Gezerah, he was not allowed to even daven with a minion. 
The Rebbe, however, the Rebbe saw this coming. The Rebbe knew that they would pull some shtick like this. So before he even started this whole campaign, he arranged that all communication should be done through members of the Petterberg Vad and not him. So even if the Rebbe is under house arrest, it doesn't make a difference because the Petterberg Vad is out, out there. Um, now, so once again, the Rebbe managed to, to, to... That's why the Rebbe was so good at avoiding detection because he never... There was nothing ever done by it publicly. Or even, even to private people, the Rebbe didn't do things except for the few select, the, the 10 Hasidim that knew about it and that's it. Remember, it's 10 Hasidim out of hundreds of thousands. And the government's unable to stop these messengers from going out. The messengers are still going around, but the Rebbe's under house arrest. What's going on over here? So seeing that all these people were continuing to go around and that the, without the Rebbe's involvement, so they said, what's the point of keeping him under house arrest if all this is continuing anyways? So by now they realized we have to do something a lot more drastic to convince everyone that the Tzemach Sedek is pro the masculine schools. So what did they do? These sick people, they opened up a Moscow school in Lubavitch and they demanded that the Tzemach Tzedek send two of his grandchildren to learn there. And they would then publicize this fact. Ooh, see? The Tzemach Tzedek himself sent his grandchildren there. It's proof that he really did sign this letter. Now, obviously, the Rebbe did not want to send any of his grandchildren to their school, but he was being forced to do so by the czar himself. So now he's faced with a very big dilemma, which, which kids do you send? And he reluctantly decided he has no choice, he has to make a girl. It's the only way to do it. So the first name that came up was Baruch. Baruch was uh, the son of, um, the son of his son-in-law, Reb Schneer, the, the oldest of the Tzemach Tzedek's daughters, Radha Freyda, was, she was named after Rebetzin Freyda, the Alter Rebbe's daughter. So Radha Freyda had a son, uh, Baruch. And the second one was Leib. Leib was the second to oldest son of Reb Baruch Shalom, the Rebbe's great-great-grandfather. Um, and they would be the ones who would have to attend the school. So, the Tzemach Tzedek wasn't going to just leave it like that. In order to make them, like, to, to, to console them. Right? Imagine how these kids feel. Instead of going to a cheder, they're going to with, these, with these crazy maskilim. Then they know the truth. So, in order to make them feel better, and more importantly, to make sure they're not getting their brains corrupted by all the maskilim stuff, the Tzemach Sedek, as if, his as if he didn't have enough to do now, he set aside time now, every single day, to learn with these two boys. None of the other grandchildren got such a thing. Um, and as soon as they came home from school, they go directly to the Tzemach Sedek, and he's, he's going to learn with them. A lot of times he would learn a parak of Tanya with them. Now, this situation affected the Tzemach Sedek in other ways as well. The Tzemach Sedek, one of his sons, 
Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. Um, he knew that if he remained in Lubavitch, he has a whole bunch of kids. He doesn't want his kids being in the Goyrol. So what's he going to do? He's going to leave Lubavitch. He, he's terrified. Now, you, could you blame him? <laughs> Not really. The Tzemach didn't want him to move, though. Tzemach wanted him to stay, and he, did, he didn't do it. Again, you can't, it's hard to, how do you blame such a person? How do you blame him? He was a very big tzaddik. Like, like, it's not like he was uh, only cared about himself. His kids' lives are in danger. That's the way he looked at it. Anyways, so seeing all, no other alternative. So his father-in-law, his father-in-law was Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkasa. Um, he was a son-in-law of the Mittal Rebbe, but, his fa- but, from his, but his father, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkasa's father, was Rabbi Mordechai of Chernobyl, the tzaddik. And they were not, he wasn't so much into Hasidus Chabad. He was more of a Chagas person. And he wanted his son-in-law and his daughter to move to Cherkas, Cherkasa. And he moved the family out of Lubavitch. A few years later, as his family expenses grew, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak's father-in-law wasn't able to support him anymore. Just to make it very clear, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkasa was like a Rebbe over there. He wasn't Stama Chassid who was hanging around. He had his Chassid, he had his own Chassidim. And he couldn't support his son-in-law anymore. And so being the Rebbe in Cherkasa, he tells his son-in-law, listen, why don't you, I have a bunch of Chassidim in the city of Avruch. Why don't you move to Avruch and lead my Chassid, become their Rebbe. I'll give you my Chassidim over there. And this distressed the Tzemach Tzedek a lot. And he told his son, if you come back to Lubavitch, I'll pay for everything you need. You don't have to worry about money. Um, for different reasons, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Avruch, right, which is what he's called till today, uh, did not move back and he settled in Avruch. Now, it's very possible he was like, he, he was embarrassed to come back. Like he left because he didn't want his kids to be included in the Gairo. Now that the danger is over, oh, now you come back? So it could be he was embarrassed about that. Um, right, so the, the, just to make it very clear, he, he was a tremendous tzaddik. The Friedrich Rebbe is named after him. Yosef Yitzchak, right, of Avruch. His grandfather, his, his, the, the Friedrich Rebbe's grandfather was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Avruch. Anyways, it's some tzaddik for bringings. Back to the, the Tzemach Sedek, they were affected by the situation as well. Out of fear that his words might be uh, taken out of context to prove that he was speaking against the government, so the Tzemach Sedek no longer forbring publicly, even on Yudas Kislev, but he continued to say Mamar. He just didn't forbring. Um, this was in addition to the forced disruption of other Hasidish and Hagim that the Maskilim caused to stop a few years earlier. And, and these things affect us till today. There, there, there used to be the, the Rabbeim, all of them up until the Tzemach Sedek, would go into the fields on Lagba Emer and Fabring in the fields, but that stopped. Um, also, another thing that stopped, which, which again we didn't do, as, as I, I, I never had a Yechidus with the Rebbe, but anyone who did, they didn't, they didn't do this. It used to be there was a special dance you would do when you came out of. Yechidus with the Rebbe. That stopped as well because of the Maskilim. Um, 
Now, despite all the government's uh, intimidation tactics and strategies, the feeling among the Eden didn't change. Everyone understood. The government came out and said, and the Maskilim came out and said, oh, see, the Tzamaq Sadiq sending two of his kids. Well, if he really thought your schools were so good, wouldn't he send all of his grandchildren? Clearly, you forced him to send two of his kids. And that, by the way, backfired on the Maskilim very strongly because now, there were, let's say there was a Yid who's thinking, maybe he's thinking of sending his kid to the Maskilim school. After all, it's free, you know? Free tuition, right? But as soon as they heard, <clears throat> you're forcing someone's kids to go? Oh, no, 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 no. That you can't do. And that made them angry, and they ended up losing people that would have, that might have come to them. It made, basically, it made the Yidin stronger in their... In, in, in their uh, fight against the uh, masculine and, and, and stronger in, to keep their Yiddishkeit strong. So the, the vast majority of Yiddin, they strengthened their determination and they, they continued to boycott the schools of the masculine, the books, the, all the, and the speeches, everything like that. So before Hanukkah, 1854, the Tzemach received an official notice that in six weeks is going to be a follow-up conference. So now we're up to the third one. And this time, we demand that he come. Uh, the Tzemach Sadek sent a written reply to the minister saying that because of his poor health, he's unable to travel until springtime, which is months later. Right? He does this every single time. It's embarrassing to them to say, okay, we'll wait till spring. We calling it now, he's telling them, I'll come in five months. That, that, that's like a slap in the face. Um... And his letter was accompanied, just like it was the first time in, in, uh, in, uh, in 1848, with a letter from Dr. Heibenthal, the government's top doctor in the area, stating that Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, known as the Sadiq of Lubavitch, was a patient of his, and he's not allowed to travel for the next few months. So to prevent the government from accusing him of trying to boycott the whole thing, so the Tzemach Sadiq wrote in his letter that I personally am not going to be going, but I'm going to send a representative, which is allowed under Russian law. The Russians had no problem with that. Now, since the date for the meeting had already been set to take place a few weeks later, so the government agreed. They realized either we take his, whoever his representative is or we, we push the whole thing off for months and we don't want that. So he chose his youngest son, the future Rebbe Maharash. However, that year, now, just to make it clear, by the way, how old do you think the Rebbe Maharash was at this time? He was 21 years old. And you're sending him to be, to be the one to, to fight against this whole thing. So that year, uh, Tsar Nikolai's aggressive attempts to force the Yidin to convert came to an end. Um, at that time, there was a war that the Russia was fighting. Russia was always fighting wars. I, I guess you could say they're still fighting wars. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Um, there was, at that time, it was called the Crimean War, that's with, with Turkey, right? Constantly fighting with Turkey. Um, so he suffered a terrible defeat in the Crimean War, and he suddenly died, and he was succeeded by his son, Alexander II. Now, the, the new czar, so the first thing he did 
when he, when he became, not, not the first thing, but in the beginning of his reign, he, he shortened the years of service that Jews were required to serve as, as soldiers to just 25 years, meaning no more kidnapping kids and things like that. Now, could you imagine what a sigh of relief all the Jewish mothers were breathing when this happened? It's like, we don't have to be scared every time, every time we send our kid to the marketplace that we're never going to see him again. Um, and community leaders didn't have to decide which kid to choose, which caused tremendous pain and suffering, as we spoke about, for the Jewish community. However, there's a negative side to this. And that is that from then on, when, when, when a Jewish man turned 18, he would have to present himself to the authorities as every other citizen and be registered in the draft. Meaning, when you get a certain age, I think it's when you're 16 years old, in America, the way it works is, if you want to get a job, you have to do, you have, you have to do draft registration. Register for the draft. Now, we don't have a draft in America, but if there ever would be, right, I don't think they would take me anymore. Maybe they would, I don't know. But, but when I was 16, you have, to, you have to sign up for the draft. Again, when everyone signs up for the draft in America, no one really thinks they're going to be drafted. Because we're not, we don't fight wars with, with, with large amounts of people the way we used to. We use weapons instead. right? One guided missile is worth a thousand troops on the ground. So what's better? Okay. Right? You, don't, you don't need the same amount of troops anymore. Um, now, in addition, Jewish soldiers who wanted to practice their religion, they were finally allowed to do so. And the only Cantonist law that the new czar left in effect concerned the Jewish soldiers that had already converted. That they were not allowed to return to their religion. Now, this is very sad. These guys are forced to convert, most of them. And anyone who renounces their conversion, if they say, I'm not Christian anymore, I'm Jewish, gets the death penalty. Um, nevertheless, many Jewish soldiers, they declared that their conversion was forced and it's not a good conversion. It's bottle. And seeing how some soldiers were willing to give up their lives for Judaism, that encouraged other soldiers to start saying that we were also forced Um, now, in general, when, when the Tzemach Sadek spoke about these soldiers, the Tzemach Sadek always praised them on, on many different occasions. When he spoke, we spoke about this earlier, a few weeks ago, by the, at the time of the first conference, the Tzemach Sadek was given permission to speak to the soldiers, and he did it twice. So that after he spoke to them the second time, he said the following to, to the Chassidim who were with him. He said, the Cantonist Gezeira is similar to the Greek Empire's uh, Gezeiras, the battle against the Maccabees, right? Against the Hashemunayim. It's a Ruchni Yisdika war that the purpose is to destroy our religion. They're not trying to kill us. They're trying to kill our religion. And he said, no one but no one can ever imagine the great pleasure Hashem has from these unlearned soldiers. Their whole life 
is a life of Messiris Nefesh. That they just, they believe in Hashem and His mitzvahs. They don't even know most of the mitzvahs to keep. But they believe in it. They're simple tefillahs. They're simple tehillim. They don't understand a word they're saying. And they're saying it. They just say, Hashem, we love you. Help us out when you can. He said it's greater than those great Talmidei Chachamim who daven with all of the kavanas of the Arizal. He said their life is soaked with Mesiris Nefesh and their Amuna is, is 100% pure. They're, it's not like some people, why do they believe in Hashem? Because they learned about Him and, and they, the more you learn, the more you appreciate it and oh, now I believe in Hashem. But these guys, they never learned something. They're a bunch of Amaratzim. They don't use Seichel to believe in Hashem. They just do it. It's pure. And he said, Mashiach will take a lot of pleasure in these simple Yidin, these masters of Mesiris Nefesh. Baal Mesiris Nefesh. He said, there's a special chamber designated for these soldiers in Shemayim. And that chamber is so high that even great Talmidei Chachamim are jealous that they can't get to that chamber. He said, who is greater than the Rambam who reached the highest level of Amuna through intellectual process, reasoning, explanations, yet from his place in Shemayim, even the Rambam is looking at them and going like, wow, how do I get there? These simple, unlearned Yidin, these Cantonists, they are able to get to the highest levels of godliness. And he, continued, he said, Reb Chaim, who was an exceptional Tamar Chacham, was, was accompanying the Rebbe at the time, Chassid, and he's, he's hearing the Rebbe say these things about the Cantonists, and he's like, and us, could we ever reach such a level? Like, how do we become simple, God-fearing Jews? Like, obviously he's not simple, he's a big time of that, that we could serve Hashem through, through Messiris Nefesh. So Semach Sadek looks at him and goes, what do you think? You, you think it's easy? It's harder than knowing the entire Shas. And the Rebbe sat quietly thinking, and he said, there's one solution. You could find a similar thing with Kabbalah soil. Self-sacrifice. Where we totally give over our will to Hashem. Kabbalah soil transforms a person. Kabbalah soil means you that you accept the yoke. A yoke is the like like uh, on the on the on the horses, right? The the bar that goes on them that they can help them pull the wagon or the, or on the oxen that pulls the plow. So you say Kabbalah soil malchus shemayim. And he said, through conquering our personal desires, both obviously the things that are forbidden, but also even the desires for things that are permitted. So for an example, everyone's going to agree that no one should ever have a desire to eat treif, right? Because you're not allowed to eat treif. Is it okay to have a desire to have pizza and ice cream? Mm -hmm. Well, the answer is it depends why you want the pizza and ice cream. 
If you want it because you just like it, that's that's not a good thing. The rabbeim, it's mentioned throughout Hasidus that you have to conquer your taivas even for things that are mutter. There's no avera. What's the avera to eat pizza and ice cream? Nothing. So that's a good, you could say it's not healthy, right? But no one's going to say, no doctor's going to say once a year to have pizza and ice cream is going to, nothing's going to happen to you, right? right? It's, it's if you have every night pizza and ice cream, chances are you're not going to live too long. Now, so he continues, he said, our relationship to Hashem becomes like a devoted servant who even when sleeping is ready to serve his master. And then and only then could a Tamar Chacham reach the level of these cantonists. So, going back to our story, seeing that the, uh, the above-mentioned changes, so the Yidin were hopeful that the new Tsar, Alexander II, would be, kind, would be a kinder ruler than his father. However, the new Tsar, at the end of the day, continued to side with the Maskilim. In 1856, he ordered that their books should be used in all Jewish educational systems, including Chadarim. And this caused, again, tremendous suffering for the Yidden, for Jewish communities. In addition, he made certain guidelines that had a very negative impact on the livelihoods of many Jewish communities. Following year, 1857, the Marash, the Rebbe Marash, went again to be his father's representative to another conference, so before he went, his father told him, like this, in 1843, the government called me, and on the way there, I stopped at my mother's caver, and she told me that because she had Mesir Snefesh, both, meaning she literally gave up her life for Hasidim and Hasidus, so she's able to go all the way to the Heichel HaBal Shem Tev, and she went over there and she said, how could, you, how could my son be helped? And the, and the Baal Shem Tev told her, and this is what, remember, the Tzemach Sedeq is telling this to Rebbe Marash, what his mother told him that the Baal Shebtev said. That it says in the Torah, that the fear of Hashem was upon, right? So basically, Chitas is an acronym, is a Rosh Teves, Chumish, Tilum Tanya. Whoever knows those letters fluently will overcome all obstacles. So he's, the letters of Chumish, Tilum Tanya. The words, Chitas, yes. So therefore... Whenever you are in a government building or you're meeting with an official, you should say a parsha of the Torah, a pedic of Tehillim, and a parak of Tanya. Years later, when the Rebbe Marash said this to his son, the Rashab, he said, this was a very wonder wonderful prescription for me. Because with, when, the, when I said the first three parshas of Torah, the first three prakam of Tehillim and Tanya, the plans of the Haskalah movement started falling apart by the third meeting. The Hasidim, Taka, all from Yidin, they were hopeful that the successful outcome of the conference of 1857 would bring an end to the war with the Maskilim and their supporters. They thought that by now the ministers would know who they really were and they wouldn't listen to any of their complaints, but sadly they were wrong. In 1859, the Maskilim informed on the Tzemach Sadek for the fifth time, causing him great suffering. At that time, oh, you know, we'll have to continue tomorrow.